man became a living being. May God bless the reading of this word. Amen. Good job, Levi. In May, Kyle and I had the opportunity to go to the Pepperdine Lectures. And uh, as often happens there, our, our minds are being filled with uh, ideas and thoughts and you know things that we, we are encouraged and edified by. And we were uh, not quite halfway through our series on uh, the book of John, and I had been thinking about the Holy Spirit quite a lot because Jesus discusses the Holy Spirit a number of times. And as we were getting on the plane, uh, after having our flights rescheduled and delayed multiple times, Kyle looked over to me and he said, you know, I've been thinking we should do a series on the Holy Spirit. And I felt like that was maybe the Spirit speaking through Kyle, uh, affirming something that I'd been thinking for a while was not just thoughts that I was having, but perhaps something that God had uh, pushed me towards, things that he was desiring for us as a congregation to explore and do. And so uh, I didn't want to squelch the Holy Spirit and began the process of putting together a sermon series, ruminating it on it, dwelling on it, uh, reading books about the Holy Spirit, buying more books than I was actually going to use to you know, study up on the Holy Spirit, and just trying to comprehend the things I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to let you in on something. There's a lot I don't know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was telling Buddy before service this morning that in the 38 years I have been attending the Churches of Christ, that's my whole life, um, I think I can probably count six or seven times that a sermon on the Holy Spirit was preached and I remember it. Now, to be fair, unlike a lot of people, I, I, uh, I do listen to most sermons. I'm not judging anybody. Um, and I take notes when I listen. And I'd, I've gone back through some of the notes that I've taken, and I, I think I kind of confirmed for myself, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. It's, it's a confusing subject for a lot of us. And yet, from the first page of Scripture to the last page of Scripture, the Holy Spirit is found. As we read through the text, we, we find that God's Spirit is active and present in virtually every page and so this morning, I want to begin by going back to the Gospel of John for just a moment, and I want us to listen to the words of Jesus to his disciples. In John chapter 14, in verse 25, Jesus says to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And Jesus continues on from there to tell his disciples, these are, these are things that you need to know. These are things that are going to happen. These are things that are going to come to pass. And I want you to stay firm and strong in, in the ways which you will continue in the faith in light of these things. He tells them that he's the true vine and that they've been grafted onto him and that, that he's going to care for them. And then in chapter 16, he comes back around to the Holy Spirit again. Chapter 16, in the second half of verse 4, he says, 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a helper, a comforter, one who will bring them peace. If you look through the Gospel of John, one of the things that Jesus is regularly saying is that the things he does are only the things which he has seen from the Father. The things he speaks are only what the Father has given to him. And now Jesus applies the same thing to the Spirit. He is not going to speak his own words. They're not going to be some different set of ideas or thoughts than what we've already heard from Jesus. But in fact, there are ways in which the Spirit will guide the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, those who have a, a deep abiding relationship with him and the Father. They will be nurtured by taught by and led by God's Spirit. And I mentioned this several times as we've approached this series. One of the things that struck me this last time reading through the Gospel of John was how emphatic Jesus is about the blessing that the Spirit will be. It is to your advantage that I should go. I remember when I was younger... And we would have conversations about our faith and, and uh, about the idea that, you know, it must have been great for the disciples to be able to walk alongside Jesus and to witness the miracles and hear the teaching coming from his mouth and be able to experience things that we just don't experience. Ah, it must have been so easy for them to have faith. And yet Jesus tells his disciples, it is to their advantage that the Spirit should take up residence among them in his absence. Sometimes we bemoan the fact that Jesus isn't here and now, but I think Jesus is telling us, you know, if you have the Spirit, you have a very good thing. And so it, it strikes me that we spend so little time talking about someone who Jesus has built up so much and I want us to have a really clear picture of who the Spirit is, what the Spirit does, the ways in which we are supposed to look at the Spirit and interact with the Spirit, and the ways in which we have maybe misunderstood the Spirit and what the Spirit does in our lives in the past. And so this morning, as we move into the, the kind of meat of this lesson, I want to 
kind of suggests to us that there are a handful of ways that we might view the Spirit. And I've had these views at different points in my life. These are ways in which I've understood the Spirit for myself. And uh, I'm not going to say that they're all wrong, but I think they're insufficient. They're glimpses or glimmers of who the Spirit might be. The first one is, well, I want to be completely clear. The first one is that we kind of treat the Holy Spirit like he's Jiminy Cricket, right? He is a little conscience that sits on our shoulder. And if we really want to, we might be able to resist the Holy Spirit uh, because he's not particularly forceful, right? I don't know if you've watched the original Pinocchio uh, in, in any recent time frame. I've heard really bad things about the remake that they just put out, and so I'm avoiding it because... This particular movie is very significant to me. Uh, my mom tells a story about the first movie I went to see in the, the theaters was The Great Mouse Detective, but the first movie that I had ever watched on home video was Pinocchio. And we're driving along, and in the back seat of the car, uh, I'm mumbling under my breath, and my mom is trying to key in on what exactly it is that I'm saying. And she hears me kind of utter these words, little puppet made of pine. The gift of life is thine. And then I proceeded to recite the entire movie, apparently. Uh, a, few, a few months ago, Emma was in a uh, children's production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. To make that appropriate for children, you have to cut it down to 20 minutes. Uh, and she was one of the fairies, and uh, she, had, she had not got a large speaking role. She had lines, but it was not particularly big. And I think part of it was she'd never done theater before. And so uh, one of the things that we noticed was that she was really intently studying her script over the couple of weeks that they were preparing. And she gets up on stage, and uh, there's a moment where she's in this group of fairies, and the lead fairy has been delivering her lines, and she stops. And I'd noticed that Emma had been, like, mumbling her lips the whole time. And I'm like, that's a really weird thing for her to be doing. What in the world is she doing up there? Until this lead fairy looks over at her, And Emma goes, and the lead fairy is right back on track all of a sudden. Emma was reciting the entire play word for word under her breath as she's up on stage. Now, that's a bad actor's habit to have, and I've coached her on that as a director. You know, don't do that again in the future. But she she had this wonderful memory of what was going on. I want to tell you, I think that the Holy Spirit kind of, in some ways, works a little bit like Emma. There is definitely this idea that occasionally... We need a prompt. We need something to get us back on track when we've gone astray. But that's not our conscience, because I want to be completely honest with you. Most of us have pretty broken consciences. If we were left to our own devices, the voice in our head is usually not the voice we want to trust. Think back over the course of your life and all the times that you went with your first inclination. I want to be honest. All the times I've gone with my first inclination, my conscience, that little voice that's built into my head, it's kind of got me in trouble. Jiminy Cricket is not the Holy Spirit. There's this moment in in Pinocchio where, you know, Pinocchio's going to go do the thing that he's going to do no matter what, and Jiminy's trying to, like, pull him back. And, of course, he's a cricket, so he's not particularly effective in doing that. The Holy Spirit, if we allow him, will be powerful in changing the direction of our lives. Our conscience, not so much, because our conscience is going to affirm the things we were going to do anyway. There's a second way that I think we might view the Holy Spirit, 
as an aloof correspondent. Okay, uh, I have a Reminders app. I use that Reminders app on a regular basis, and I you know, hit little uh, reminder buttons to tell myself that I've completed a task. And occasionally, I have to go in. I've got multiple lists. I've got my work list. I've got my family list. I've got my children's chore list, which I share with them on their watch. And occasionally, I have to go in, and in their Reminders app, note to them that it has been over a month since they've checked off the things that they've done in their chore list. And sometimes they've done the things on the chore list, and sometimes it's been a month since they've done the things on their chore list. Sometimes I think we think the Holy Spirit is kind of an inattentive or aloof correspondent. We want him to talk to us. He's supposed to be doing it, and we just don't hear from him on a regular basis. In fact, if you look at the top there, the Holy Spirit's a little overdue to speak to me. It's been since June 1st, and I've not heard an audible voice for a little while now. It's uh, kind of distressing. I'd like for him to get on top of things. Isn't that how we treat the Holy Spirit sometimes? As though maybe we're just one in a long list of people he's got to see to, and maybe he just doesn't have the time for us. He'll get around to us, but we're going to stay in the overdue column for a while. I don't think that's appropriate, because God, I don't know if you've heard this, God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God can do everything and is everywhere. We believe that the Father can hear all of our prayers at once, that in fact, if Michael is in Timbuktu and I'm here in Newburgh, Oregon, and we're both praying to God, God is not just giving one of us or the other of us his attention. We believe that about the Father. And in fact, because we end most of our prayers in Jesus' name, we also believe that Jesus is able to give us all his attention all the time. But sometimes I think that the Holy Spirit is only for Chuck and not for me, at least right now. Sometimes I really struggle with the idea that Tasha gets to have a a relationship with the Holy Spirit for about five minutes, and then he's going to move on to somebody else, and my turn is months down the road. As though the Holy Spirit will get around to us, but we're just one on the list. But there's a third version of our image of the Holy Spirit that I think is probably the most common for all of us. Uh, I I don't know how many of you have watched Spider-Man Homecoming. It's a few years old now. Uh, It is, in my mind, the pinnacle of like high school comedy meets uh, superhero movie. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's a great movie. And there's a moment in that movie when uh, Peter Parker, having revealed to his good buddy Ned that he is Spider-Man by accident, revealed it to him, uh, they, they begin to have a conversation about what that means for their friendship and what it means for Peter and how they're going to move forward. And I want to share a clip with you because I think oftentimes we treat the Holy Spirit the way that Ned sees himself in this little clip here. And so I want to share this with you. Hey, am I a little guy in the chair? Transitional team. What? Do you know how there's a guy oh, no. with the headset telling the other guy where to go? Like... Like if oh, man. Looking, this is this is not what I was talking about. Because there'd be screens around me, I could you know, sit around them. Volume like, up. Guy in the chair. Ned, I don't need a guy in the chair. Looking good, Parker. All right. Well, you guys couldn't hear that. That was that was unfortunate. Uh, we have some issues with the sound coming out of the computer back there. Here's what happens. 
They're doing push, uh, sit-ups in, in gym class, and Ned says, you know what? I could be your guy in the chair. And Peter says, what do you mean, guy in the chair? He says, you know, there's always that guy, and he's got the headset on, and he's sitting... Guy in the chair? Technology is great until it doesn't work. Actually, the technology is a little bit more like the aloof correspondent than the Holy Spirit is. He says to him, you know, there's always that guy with the headset, and he's got, like, computer screens all around him, and he's turning left and right, and he's taking notes, and he's telling the, the, the superhero what to do. And, and Peter says, you know, I don't really need a guy in the chair. It's supposed to say up there that sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit like he's our guy in the chair or, or a sidekick. Like he's there to accommodate our superheroing adventures. He doesn't really have a whole lot of power to himself, but occasionally he points us in the right direction or slips us just a little bit of good information and we're able to do the things that we're called to do. But I want to be honest with you that I think all of those are a failure in understanding who the Holy Spirit is, how he interacts with us, and what we should expect when we are interacting with the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is a mighty wind. I think that the Holy Spirit moves in powerful and significant ways. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he's talking about the Spirit, about those who will be baptized by the Spirit, about those who will live life in the Spirit. And he makes an analogy. He says, the wind moves we know not where. And so it is with those who are moved by the Spirit. Jesus tells us that the Spirit is like the wind. The Spirit moves in ways that we can't quite understand or comprehend, but it moves. It is not something still and quiet. It is not something inactive. It is not something without power. I don't know if you've watched a lot of the coverage of the the hurricane that's happening back east, but when you watch the wind in a hurricane, it knocks down buildings. It rips up trees. It moves things. The, The wind has power behind it. The Spirit is a mighty wind. And you might be thinking, well, that's great, Chris. That's a really clever way of describing it. It's also a you know, movie that's a mockumentary about bluegrass music, which is a pretty good mockumentary about bluegrass music. The soundtrack is excellent. Uh, not necessarily an endorsement of the movie. I'm not telling you all to go out and watch it, but I'm going to go out and watch it this week. Um, what I noticed, though, is that I was reading through Genesis, and what stood out to me is the wording that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. It's also the word for wind. It's also one of the words for breath, the thing that we breathe in that animates us, that allows us to continue to live. In fact, you may not know this, you are a body and a spirit. You've probably been told before that you're not a, you're not a, a body with a spirit, you're a spirit with a body, and that's why you, know, you have the hope of eternity. I want to be clear with you, in Scripture, you are a body and a spirit, which makes you a soul, a nefesh, the place where the spirit and the body meet. It's actually the Hebrew word for neck, which sounds really weird, you're a neck, But you are the point at which flesh and breath interact. You are animated by the breath that is in your lungs. You are alive because a spirit fills you. 
your body and spirit. And Genesis begins by giving us this context for the spirit by saying, the spirit hovered above the waters. Most of us know, because we just read through it over the course of the last year, that John begins by telling us that Jesus was present in the creation. The word was present in the creation, that by him all things were made. Without him was not anything made that has been made. And we know that the Father was present, but sometimes we just gloss over this moment in Scripture where we're told that the Spirit hovers above the waters of creation. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And I want to tell you something. Uh, I, I prepped this sermon months ago, but I got a text message from a buddy the other night, and uh, he asked me and my friend Paul. This is Steve Haney. He's the uh, youth minister at the Oregon City Church of Christ, and we have a little ministered text message thread that goes on between us and a couple of other guys. And he messaged Paul and I, and he said, do either of you ever use the Bible Gateway app? And I'm like, well, you know, I I used to use the Bible Gateway app. I used it a bit a few years ago, but now I mostly use the Logos app or the ESV app. And so, you know, these are the exciting conversations that happen between ministers when you're not around. We talk about the Bible apps we use. The Blue Letter Bible app is pretty good, too. By the way, if you want to use a a good Bible app, the Blue Letter Bible app is pretty good and free. He tells me they have a Bible on the app that I had never heard of before, and I love it. It's called Expanded Bible, the EXB. He sends me a screenshot, and I kind of look at it, and then I get frustrated with trying to read the screenshot with a little glare on it, and I go and I re-download the app, and I read through uh, Genesis chapter 1 in the EXB. And I respond to him, that looks like a pretty cool resource, right? And then it dawns on me that in the middle of their translation of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, they use the phrase, a mighty wind, when they translate the Holy Spirit. Now, they also use the Holy Spirit. So the EXB Bible uh, is kind of, it's not great for reading as like a, a just read the text and understand the narrative flow. It's a great app or a great Bible translation for adding some understanding to the context of, of language and translation and understanding why certain choices are made. He says, yeah, it's been really helpful. The EXB translation puts this like this, in the beginning or in the beginning when, God created. This Hebrew verb is used only when God is the one creating. The heavens, or sky, and the earth, or the earth, had no form and was empty, or was a formless void. Darkness covered the ocean, or deep. And God's spirit, or a mighty wind, was moving hovering over the waters. I had chosen this title because as you go through the Old Testament, what you ultimately see is that where the wind happens in the activity of God, the most miraculous things occur. Here, as God's Spirit breezes across the waters, crosses, thrashes the waves about, maybe you might say, Creation comes to be. In Exodus, 
When God parts the sea, it tells us that a a strong wind came out of the east and parted the sea. When you read further and you read about the, the parting of the Jordan River, the same thing happens. But the Holy Spirit is not just wild. Sometimes the Spirit comes to comfort and calm. And when the prophet finds himself in a cave, terrified because of the situation that he's facing, there are things that happen. There are, there's the ground that shakes. There's you know, this, this tremor that fills him with fear, but God is not in the fearful thing. God is in a still, quiet breeze that blows past him and provides him comfort. It's a mighty wind, but it's a wind that's controlled. A wind that is not reckless with its power. A wind that goes where it will, but a wind that has a will. A purpose. A direction. Now, I don't know about you, Maybe you've heard this idea that the spirit, this word ruach, is, is breath and wind, and you've read other places in Scripture where the word breath is used, and you come to some conclusions about what's being communicated there. I've done that before. Uh, in fact, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, I'd read this in English over and over and over again, and the thing that I noticed is that it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, I've crossed out breathe and breath here because this is not the same word as the Ruach of God. This is not... In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God saying, I imparted to Adam my spirit. I thought for a long time it was, and I've heard sermons preached that in Genesis chapter 2, Adam was imbued with the spirit of God. But here's the, here's the truth. In the garden, Adam walked alongside God. Adam saw God face to face, and Adam, Adam was empowered by God to do the things that he was called to do. But Adam was not filled with the Spirit because the Spirit was all around him in creation to begin with. In fact, the same phrase, filled with the breath of life, is used to describe all of creation in the previous chapter. Later on in the Psalms, when it talks about, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, that phrase is not about the Ruach. It's about breath, breathing in and out. It's about the idea of being alive, about being created, a created thing. But it is not about everything that has the Spirit. In fact, even if you don't have the Spirit, the expectation is that you should be praising the Lord. That's what you were designed and created for. But if you have the Spirit, God is going to empower you to do things that you could not do without the Spirit by your natural means. And if we're going to understand the Holy Spirit, if we're going to start with a context for understanding what it is and what it does and the way in which we are called to be in submission to it and interact with it, we have to begin with the understanding that the Holy Spirit is not something that just amplifies our own abilities and powers, but it It is the power of God to move things. 
It is God's ability to animate and bring life to whatever he chooses and lift it and elevate it and make it better than it was before. And sometimes we want to treat the Holy Spirit like it's something that nudges us in particular directions, but I'm going to tell you that if that's your experience with the Spirit, it's probably because you've had a very dim view of the Spirit, because the Spirit is not going to nudge you. The Spirit is going to blow you in directions that you cannot choose for yourself. And it's going to let you do things that you could not do on your own. Thank you, Stan. Adam was in the garden to tend the garden and be fruitful and multiply with his wife Eve. Those were the jobs God had given to them. They were there to subdue creation. And they were equipped for those things naturally by the creative process which God had given to them. And God's spirit had subdued the earth to be in submission to them by his creative power. And it is only after the fracturing of the relationship between God and man that creation stops yielding to man naturally. And God sends his spirit at various times, in various ways, to empower people to move us back towards that original state. I would encourage you that we could spend, uh, I'm already over time here, but we could spend hours reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament about the ways in which the Spirit pushes against our, our inclinations and directs us in ways which we would not choose for ourselves and overpowers us when we think we know best. That's what we have another five weeks for. This morning, I want to encourage you with this thought. The Holy Spirit can be a very powerful, very motivating, very life-changing thing. And in some cases, we don't have to let it be. It will choose to be. But God likes working with people who are willing more than he likes to work with those who are stubborn. I want to encourage us to consider ways in which we might yield to the Spirit so that God's mighty wind might blow us to the places that he desires us to be. Can we be moved the way that Jesus says those who live by the Spirit will be moved? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are good and faithful. We know that Jesus is good and faithful, and so if he promises us that something is to our advantage, and we treat it as though it's not, we pray for forgiveness. We do long for the day that Jesus returns, that we get to see him enthroned as the king of all. But you have told us that it is to our advantage that your spirit should be present, and sometimes we have neglected him and treated him like a sidekick in our little hero story. When in fact, we are the ones who are there to facilitate the work of the spirit, not to direct the work of the spirit. Help us to be good facilitators of a mighty and powerful wind. Help us to be carried to the places you would call us, empowered to do the work that you would ask of us, filled in ways that we could not possibly call natural, but only call supernatural.
and a tribute to you and to your Son and to the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kyle will lead us in worship.